Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Hello and welcome to Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And today's a little mixture of all three. And uh, so I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Tony Anoboli. Hi, Tony. Who, who are you? Who I am I? Do I, voice. do I actually sound different? You sound deeper. I can't tell if it's no, the effect I sound, of the surgery or the yeah. effect of the surgery. Okay, so <laughs> for those who don't know, I just had a tonsillectomy. Um, let's see, this, this is actually coming out after Thanksgiving. So first of all, happy belated Thanksgiving, everyone. We hope you had a good holiday. Um, if you're more like me, it means that you probably had a meh holiday. Um, I know I'm recording this five days before Thanksgiving, but I know how Thanksgiving is going to go for me already. Um, so, and, and Thanksgiving tends to be a difficult holiday for me personally. So we do hope you had a good holiday. If you didn't just know you were loved and valued and you are not defined by your holiday experience in any way, shape or form, um, you are worth much more than that. So, um, but I just had a tonsillectomy on, um, November 14. We're recording this on the 24th and, um, it's been hell. Literally recovery is as bad as everyone says it is for adults. And I haven't even had any complications, but uh, I am finally on the tail end of the recovery process. I still have some some crud on the 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 backside of my throat, so I don't actually know. I, I don't need medical descriptions. I, I know that's that's why I haven't I have not gone into detail. If you want detail, you're welcome to DM me on Twitter. Please, I'll send yeah, you all the DM pictures him. you want. Um, yeah. Oh man, it's been a gross process, um, and it's been a painful process. <laughs> But, um, uh, so they said that my sleep apnea would probably be cured over time because my tonsils were that big. And, um, and you know what they say about a guy with big tonsils? Uh, he probably can't sleep well. Probably can't breathe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they, uh, they told me my voice would change. Well, my voice has changed, but that's mainly because my throat constantly, it's like I have something stuck in it because my throat is like, everything's been swollen for a week and gross and I'm still partially gross. So my voice right now sounds, I, I mean, think, more like I'm sick than it does, like, actually yeah, have changed. Yeah. 
You're always partially gross, but this is like you have a specific reason for it. This yeah, time. it's not just general use gross. This is more it's not just a generally yeah. icky person. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah. my tonsillectomy recovery, for all intents and purposes, has gone well. Um, outside of that, I was not functional for almost a full week. Like the painkillers were that strong, and I wasn't. It wasn't euphoric in any way, shape, or form. I was just knocked out the entire time. Um, sending a text was the hardest thing in the world. I couldn't even check emails until early as six days in to my recovery. Um, because I couldn't read, like I would fight drowsiness and pain to try and stay awake. And it was like, why am I doing this? I don't need to do this. Um, it was, you, you're describing me in half of my classes. At the <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, professors. Uh, I lost probably listening to this. <laughs> most of the professors who were probably listening to this. I lost over, few, you know who you are. I lost over 10 pounds in a week. So, yeah. um, I really had like the most, face. I've, I've, Thank you. <laughs> I honestly can't tell the difference. No, I know. So I'm just um, I can feel it. Uh, I'm using a belt notch that I haven't used in years. Um, I've lost like almost 60 pounds or 50 pounds due to um, like the most unhealthy ways possible, but I haven't done them intentionally unhealthy. Like, yeah. so I've starved myself for a week, but not really. It was surgery recovery and I wasn't allowed to eat food. Like I literally couldn't eat solid food until like yesterday and uh then my adhd diagnosis made med medication that's that kind of stunted my appetite so i was eating less but i wasn't eating an unhealthy amount less i was just i don't eat at like midnight anymore um and i eat smaller portions and uh but when it when you talk about like a medication assisted <laughs> diet basically and then having surgery and not eating for a week it just sounds way worse than it actually is you're like, no, 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 it's just speed. It's, it's, it's not it's just yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm not advocating for medically assisted weight loss in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that was my situation and people ask. So I tell them, but I, I just wear a lot of black. Um, I would say just to make sure you're it. taking, taking care of your body. Um, yep. that's all I want to say there. Um, and yeah. So Tony, let's, um, now that we're past all my medical grossness, um, yeah. and if you want your, my top well, tips, by the way. I'm yeah. really glad Thank you're doing you. well. If you want my top tips for tonsillectomy recovery, um, I'll probably do a video on it, honestly, because there's like, there's not a lot of information out there on tonsillectomy recoveries for adults. It's all kind of the same junk, but it doesn't like really, there's a lot of specific questions and things that I had and scenarios I ran into that there was no information for. So I'm going to give out some some advice from my own experience but um hey disclaimer as we jump into today's episode by the way um speaking of giving advice uh tony and i are not experts in today's topic we are not licensed professionals nope. we are um so as we talk about this we're going to be talking about this from our perspective if you do know of an expert or you are an expert in addiction addiction recovery addiction support please reach out we would love to have you on um but part of having these conversations is also trying to have an informed conversation and not barring ourselves from being able to have that conversation without an expert present because 99% of people do not have an expert present. 
And I think one of the goals that I've always had with absurdity is figuring out how to navigate these conversations for people who don't have an expert present, for people who are just like you and me sitting in a car driving or wherever we're, whatever we're doing. Um, and if we're like last week guests, uh, last week's guests, then we're probably unpacking from a trip or cleaning our house. Um, that's what he always does when he listens to absurdity. But we, we basically just want to figure out how can we navigate these conversations in a way that's helpful and so we're going to give our perspectives on things. We're obviously going to try and cite some sources for you, um, but we encourage further. Um, we encourage further study, further research. We also encourage if you you um, or someone you know is going through an addiction or addiction recovery to consult a professional to go through therapy and counseling. Yep. Um, do whatever you can um, to go through professional routes. Do not take what we say as rule of law. Do not take what we say as like. This is it. This is the solution to all my problems. That is not what today is. That's not what this episode is. Um, but we're going to try and navigate this as best we can. And obviously, we're going to keep revisiting this topic as time goes on, the same way we've kind of done it with modesty culture. And I already have a couple more plans for um, some new takes um, on that, some different takes on modesty culture coming in the future. So, yeah, um, I just want that. I feel like that disclaimer is really important going into <laughs> the topic of addiction well, yeah. and addiction recovery. And I mean, we've, cause I think the thing is that we've, we've said that a lot and it's been implied a lot and, but it's always good to remind, you know, uh, I know, um, really in the last like 20 episodes or so we've gotten uh, viewers who are like, well, you know, you know, you guys kind of, it, it, it sounds like you don't know, really know what you're talking about. It's like, well, to a greater extent, we don't in the sense of like, we're not you know, PhDs, I didn't go to school to study for this particular thing. But, you know, whenever we, we come up to an episode idea or whatever, we do research, we look at it, we think about it. Um, it's It usually comes from a place where we've dealt with it on a personal level. And it's it's one of the things of we're, we're not here to fix problems. We're here to start people talking about how to fix these problems. Yeah. Um, and honestly, and- like... If if you if you encounter something we say that's problematic, like reach out to us. Um, I always get feedback from some individuals who will reach out and tell me like, "Hey, you actually said something kind of like it may be a minor point. That's fine. Let me know because I can't correct it or fix it if not if if you don't tell me or if I don't know that there's a problem. So this is what part part of why we include all of the links that we do in the show notes is so that you can check us on our facts. Um, you can check us on our sources and you can um, you can follow up. If we say something that's iffy, um, we we wouldn't invite you to just like enter into open blanket criticism. We would encourage you to look into it a little bit more and have a dialogue with us because that helps us get better. Um, and I right, think exactly you just if listeners just turn into naysayers, which this hasn't happened yet to my knowledge. But if, if that's what happens, then yeah. we don't ever get better. Like <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's I mean, it- it's like even when we did independent ministries, we were like, I think this ministry is independent or that ministry is dependent. And we were completely like it was. We had it. Com- like yeah, we had it completely said, backwards. Yeah, we had a completely opposite. And what was funny is like the guy who called us, who, who not called us out on it, informed us of that was like, oh, yeah, you just you had it completely backwards. And it wasn't like it was angry or, you know, it wasn't vindictive or anything like that. It was, oh, it was just completely backwards. Like everything you had was t- wrong way it was like oh okay yeah so you know we went on we're like hey it was the opposite like yeah like, it's, just, and it's not a it's not a matter of, but here's the thing a lot of people wouldn't have known that had we you know what i mean like the fact that we brought it up means oh yeah a lot of people aren't sure about this and mm-hmm. now you know now you're like oh yeah it's 
it's the other way. Um, and it's important to know that because it, it doesn't matter in the, necessarily the grand scheme of things, but it's one of those things that like it'll end up coloring your idea of what's going on when you understand that. And you're like, Oh, this is an independent ministry. This is a dependent ministry. This is not a, you know, Oh, this, this person, you know, Oh, uh, whatever addiction, it helps with this or, Oh, this, you know, website isn't really the best or you yeah. know, whatever. Um, you know, we, we make goose all the time, but the point is that that's, that that's the thing about being a lay member, a lay person, you know, a non-expert is, you going to make goofs because you aren't an expert. Like that's by definition, you haven't made those mistakes. You haven't talked about those things. So it's great to actually talk about it in that way, because that's the whole point is to explore things absurd. When you explore, you're going to, you know, you're going to be like, Oh, we went the wrong way. The downside is like double back. We're also doing this publicly. Like we're exploring publicly, which means when we mess up, we mess up publicly. Yeah. And one of the things that I've tried to do, and I think, the most recent example of it was episode 107. Um, and honestly, there, it happened a little bit in 106 as well. But um, when I realized that we've gotten something wrong, one of the things I've always tried to model is apologizing when we have gotten something wrong. Um, and um, I think it's really important to acknowledge and, and be transparent when that happens. And it's not like, oh, I'm looking to be wrong so that I can model apologizing. I just know that I will be wrong, but I need your help in showing me where I have messed up. And that's the kind of thing that, that really matters um, for me. Because if we are going to model saying like, hey, you know, we did get this wrong. We're sorry. We're not going to let our pride direct um, sharing information that could be um, helpful or harmful to those listening. And yeah. it, is, it is incredibly important now that, um, that that feedback helps us. So all of our yeah. context info is in the show notes. This is the longest disclaimer in the history of podcasting. Um, so we're never doing it again. This is it. So this is the only disclaimer. All we're going to do is direct you to episode 115. That's, um, that's it. Yeah. So, Hey, uh, let's, let's, yeah, let's jump in. So let's jump in at, you want to actually, Tony, you lead us in. Okay. This is your idea. Um, so, so yeah, go for it. We were, we were, uh, talking right after, um, the GC annual council, which is episode what one, uh, GC oh. annual council was one eleven. 111. So uh, after episode 111, um, there was a meeting of the North American division and they were talking about a bunch of different things that are happening um, in North America. And one of the things that both of us were talking about is, is a, a tweet that really jumped out at us. And for me, um, it was on November 3rd. I can't find, I spent a, a ton of time trying to find the original actual tweet. Um, but th- this guy stood up and again, it's, it's, it's in uh uh it's all recorded so you can go um find the recordings i believe at NAD um the the website um but they tweeted out that this young student uh stepped up when they were talking about media ministries and said hey you know my friends and i aren't really excited about radio you know we're talking about podcasts like we're not really interested in these doctrines um we are trying to we're trying to do what what lifestyle issues is, is the idea, but he specifically mentioned this idea of addiction, right? Like we're, we're not asking about the state of the dead. We're like, how do I deal with a brother who's, who's addicted? And just that little thing, it just sparked something in me because I've seen so many people deal with addiction on their own. Um, and it just got me thinking like, why aren't we talking about addiction more in the church? Like this is a big issue. Um, not even like, you know, you can talk about uh, 
the chemical addiction, substance abuse, right? Um, that's a big issue in the world. But even just addiction to things like uh, gambling, video games, um, you know, I, any of this stuff, workaholism, workaholism. Yeah, uh, that didn't say that didn't come out. With, uh, any of those things. You mean that thing like, that everyone it, thinks that I am because I do so me- do so much stuff? No, you're just ADHD. Like that people Facts. Uh, confuse no, the two. Like, yeah, yeah, they confuse it. Um, no, but like for real, it's like it's one of those things where, like, there are so many more addictions that are out there, and we just don't talk about it. Like we we, you know, as as a church, we almost don't discuss it. Like we'll talk about relationships all the do a day long like yeah. you if you look up like marriage or marriage tips or dating tips like you're gonna find a hundred really good sermons on it or or sermon series on it or books on it or t- but it's like okay but what about addiction recovery yeah like yeah you'll find stuff but we're not talking about it as much in church mm-hmm. so i want to um, i do want to give the, like a three-part shout out here um, in that that Southern student was Mark Galvez. He's the student association president hey. currently. Um, the three-part shout out is this. Mark Galvez was my pastoral intern for uh, last summer before, not last summer, I guess two summers ago, 2018 summer before I moved to working at Southern. Um, he he came and lived with me for a couple months and helped me pastor my district. He preached. Um, he was an incredible people person, connected with congregations really well. He actually was key to the success of one of our community events because he um, knew Spanish and there was a ton of Spanish people that showed up. Um, and he was the only person in the room from any of, from either of my churches that knew Spanish um, and ba- basically saved us, uh, saved the event because he could communicate with those families and he's so good at connecting with people. So he stands up and he says this after we do presentations on a bunch of our Adventist media ministries, none of which were doing anything really in the realm of podcasting. Um, and none of which a lot of young adults watch. So he stands up and says this and he critiques them and says like, basically he said it in the most polite and political way possible to say like, all of you are useless to our current lives. Um, what are we doing? And I'm pretty sure he was thinking about absurdity when he, when he said this and he was thinking about um, a couple other podcasts as well. Um, when he said like, what are we doing to support podcasts? Because it seems like podcasts are where people are actually talking about this stuff. And, um, so shout out to Mark Galvez. Love you, man. Think you're awesome. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of his story, you can check out, um, Phil's philosophies. I think it's episode two or three that Mark Galvez is actually featured as a guest. Um, and Phil's philosophies is one of the podcasts that's going to be on our soon coming absurd podcast network. Um, so go check Yay. that out. Check. We'll, we'll drop a link to that episode with Mark Galvez, um, in the description yeah. in the show notes. Go check that out. He's cool story. Cool dude. Um, super humble. And uh, almost to the point of self-sabotage. Um, and I wish, uh, and I've told them this several times, so I have no problem saying it publicly. Um, I do, um, I, I want to see this dude embrace what r- his real, real strengths in ministry. Um, and because uh, I, I know he's going to go places. And, some of the, and the way that he handled himself at NAD year-end meetings, North American Division year-end meetings, um, I think really demonstrated that. Uh, he earned the respect of a lot of people for the things that he said behind that microphone. So really proud of you, uh, Mark. I know you listened. So really proud of you, man. No pressure. Yeah. But no. if, you don't, if you don't succeed in ministry, we will be there staring at you 
awkwardly from the corner. No, so. we'll be there to support you the way that we're going to talk about yes. here. So yeah, also I yes. think I think addiction is more, you're right in that it's more than just, you know, I've been very worried over the last week about painkiller addiction. Yep. And here, like, this is how misunderstood addiction is, right? I was trying to get off of the painkillers as soon as possible. And I was like, I'm going to try to go without a dose here. And I'm going to try and, you know, try and get on just Tylenol as quickly as possible because ibuprofen is a blood thinner. Advil's a blood thinner, and you don't want to do that when you're recovering from surgery. Um, the um, and then it turned out like I talked with a friend whose mom is a nurse, and he was in, and he was, uh, she was like, no, that's that's what we mean when we say don't try and be a tough guy or a hero is take your painkillers as prescribed because if you take them every four hours as needed, it means that your baseline is higher, so the spike of having this, like your baseline of tolerance is higher. So your baseline of uh, or the, the spikes every time you take a painkiller aren't as high. And so um, your chance of addiction is actually lower if you take them more frequently while you're in pain. When pain is done, um, like done, done, not like, oh, I had a good day yeah, today yeah. or whatever. But like when pain is, when, when the pain is actually gone, that's when taking a painkiller is bad because now it's not. It's nah. going to be that super high. Correct. Spike. It's not just yeah. dulling pain. And so you like, that's when you wean off, but you don't, you don't just not take, you don't irregularly take painkillers or else that's actually how you get addicted because the spikes are more significant when you haven't been taking it in a while. And so this was something I had no idea about. And I was actually going about this. Then I was approaching my recovery in a way that was actually potentially dangerous for me. And uh, that's how misunderstood addiction is right now. Like, um, and, and this is, and this is the hard thing about mental health and mental issues. Um, when I talk about it within my family um, and I start explaining some of the things that we've dealt with, with mental illness, um, people will often ask like, how could they do this? Or how could that person do this thing? Or what were they thinking? And, and why would they, why would they ever do this? And I'm like, none of this works the way that you think it does. In fact, if you think whatever you think the logical thing to do is in 90% of cases, that's not what they think it like. That's not what they're going to do. And that's not, they didn't even think of that or they did. Yeah. And they literally you, can't you, do it. You have taken longer. A lot of times people who sit there and like, think about it and like, well, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Cause they follow the logic trains. Like you have now just sat down and taken longer to think about what should have happened than the, the person did. And they you know? can't, and, and that person and like usually can't, can't help themselves. Yeah, yeah they don't. They can't help themselves. It's like if they could stop and think about it the way you are doing it, they wouldn't do it. But a lot of times they can't. Yeah. And that's like everything you think you know ends up being like it can be logically correct and still wrong because that is not how a mentally ill person and addiction does classify as a mental illness. Um, and it is a crisis. Um, that's not how they think. Like they literally, their brain is wired and thinks differently than differently. ours. Yep. And it, it takes years to understand um, with me having a family member with, with a couple different, with a mental illness and a behavioral disorder stacked on top of each other. Um, it's taken years to understand how to interact with that person. And this is someone in my family, right? So it's like that, that's years to uh, understand someone who's in direct you know, relationship with me. Um, for my entire life. And so just like, if you really step one, before we even talk about what addiction is, I'll say the best thing that you can do for someone you care about is research what they're going through and learn about it and understand and, and begin to understand how their brain is actually processing the different things that's happening. Because if you attack things from your own perspective, you're not, you're never going to be on the same page with them. Yeah. And you're going to hear that theme come up a lot. It's just educate yourself. Like that's, 
Yeah. I feel like that's kind of public enemy number one when it comes to addiction issues is just a lack of education. Um, they, people just don't know about it. So yeah, yeah, like educate yourself like, and, and all right. So that being said, what is addiction? So let's, we, as we usually do, let's go ahead and set that baseline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, um, what, an operating for definition for yeah, an operating definition for addiction. Yeah. Um, so an addiction, I actually find this funny cause I decided to Google this for kicks. Um, and what's really annoying is that like the dictionary online, usually like you have to somehow find like the root word in order to get a, a actual definition. Cause the definition for addiction online is the factor condition of being addicted to a particular substance thing or activity. And I'm like, you can't use the word to define the word. That doesn't Thanks. help me. Yeah. Thanks. Dictionary.com. Um, basically it and is. It- an addiction is when you're addicted to something yeah. that is addictive. It oh, is okay. a, I, I would, I would argue it's a kind of a mental chemical and physical dependence on a substance thing or activity. Um, that is like, and it's not just, it, it is like a, it's, it's not a reliance. It literally is a dependence. Like this thing, your, your has become such an expected part of your life that you cannot, you literally cannot do or move without it it is it is to the point of causing dysfunction in other areas of your life because you cannot go without this thing i mean it's literally like water like when you're dehydrated like you're off like you like you know what i mean like a lot of times people are like i just have a headache and i feel bad and i just and it's like have you have you you know have you you know how much water have you drunk today like are you drinking any water like have you tried and a lot of times like people don't understand like when you have a chemical addiction it's like that like it's not even that it's it's not even that uh oh i need this to get high it's like you don't feel like you it, it's how you get back to yourself mm-hmm. like a lot of times it's how you just need to i just it's like coffee like honestly the gossip juice like you know like everyone knows they have we have a coffee addict everyone has a coffee addict friend that until they get coffee in their system they're literally like it's it's not them it's like them yeah. without coffee. I would argue all those memes about like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee and all those like who I am before and who I am after. Like that is addiction. That is addiction normalized is what yeah. that is. Like yeah. quite like a hundred percent. Like if you know, I mean a hundred percent literal If you there. know anyone who is an addict, that's literally how they are. It's yep. like, you know, anyway. So, um, I would also add that an addiction is anything, um, that can have a, an, an inconsistent payoff. Um, yep. so I would add that for, for non-chemical addictions. Um, so for things, uh, like gambling, uh, pornography, um, uh, uh, surfing video games, anything that's a non like chemical addiction, I'd say it's something that has an inconsistent payoff. Um, and, and that, that definition really opened up my eyes when I when I was was told it by someone who who had been uh, an addict before. Um, again, not not chemical, but he was like, no, it was it was a real issue. I had to deal with it, and and, and they say it's an inconsistent path. That's why you keep doing it. That's why you'll see someone sit, you know, putting coins in at Las Vegas just constantly, constantly because they don't win every single time. Yeah, but there's a chance that they're going to win big. So it's that inconsistent payoff that causes them to stay and stay and stay. And, and I, most of us out there have played a video game at one point where you couldn't beat that one level and you just kept trying and kept trying. And all of a sudden, you know, you beat the level and you look out 
and it's morning and you're like, I started playing at nine o'clock PM. What is happening? You know, we, we've all had, well, I don't know if we've all had, I have had <laughs> a few, a few nights like that. Well, um, I think, I think all of us have had nights like that without realizing like what the, what, what it was. Um, yeah. And, and it's not just video games. Like it can be anything. You watch Netflix way too much. You, because the yep. addiction doesn't have to be external. It can be to a it, certain it release in your own brain. Yeah. And so you're looking for well, the it, stimuli it releases, that, yeah. that, that releases that. And that's what, I mean, that's, that's me with Smash Bros. Like yeah. playing Smash Bros. I'll play it. Like I got to win one more. Oh, I, I'll end on this next oh, win. More, and more. then yeah. I get the I high from the win and I want to go again. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to set a timer a lot yeah. of times or for me, you know, if I'm, if I'm watching a show cause Disney plus just came out. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right? great. There goes, there goes all the productivity I need to graduate. But, um, <laughs> By the way, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian and you are on Disney Plus, you need to see The Mandalorian. It's Amazing Baby Yoda. Anyway, so um, the, the big thing for me is that, like I will literally say two episodes. Like I literally will have to say that because if I don't, I know I will watch the entire show. Yeah. And it's like I don't have six hours. I don't have six hours. I need to. I need to just two episodes because they're designed for that inconsistent payoff. They're designed yeah. to tweak your brain to need to watch the next one. I go, they're written that way. Um, so what are the stereotypes of, of addiction and, and addicts? Like from, from within Christianity, like what are the ways that yeah. you've seen uh, how we handle this and how we handle addicts themselves? Like what are, what are some of the, the, the typical stories or narratives you hear put on an addict? So a big one is that they are non-functional. Um, people really still to this day don't understand the concept of a functional Mm. addict um a lot of times that addiction doesn't show in obvious ways they're not homeless they're not uh you know uh, um um with with the uh an accompanying mental illness um or a behavioral uh uh issue um so a, the majority of people who are out there are functional addicts um to use a, a pejorative term you know they're not the crackheads um and well, I mean and think of think of all of the theology majors who yeah. are addicted to pornography. Oh yeah. And they they're like you're going to be great pastors. Um and they probably will be great pastors. And that's it, like it, the it, amount of yeah. current pastors who are addicted and the amount of oh, yeah. people that you find without have like this big sexual issue. Um John Christ just with sexual addiction um yeah, and all that stuff coming sure. out like the well, Christian comedian. Even then I would say if you look out in your audience um, at any typical church, there's going to be functional addicts out there and you just don't realize it. Like I, I would not be surprised if the amount of functional alcoholics that exist in our church is through the roof. Mm. Um, but we don't, they, they can hide it. They don't talk about it. Um, and when I say the church, I don't mean like just the seventh Adventist church. I mean like the Christian church. No, denominationalism. I have a sermon about this for Adventism specifically, yeah. but um, denominationalism attracts a lot of people who are addicted to the high you get after being right. Because right. by claiming your denomination, you're being like, yeah, we have the truth. We have, you know, we have and this, this thing in our doctrine that makes us more right than the other people. And they get high off of apologetics. You can get addicted to conspiracy theories. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, the people that, you know what I mean? Like they, they go through and they have the board and they have the, Oh, I've done all the math. And I'm like, that's an addiction. And a yeah. lot of times you can't like when they're trying to find out who is Pepe, you know, like, they, yeah, they, yeah, I was like, I was going to reference that as well. Yeah. It, when, when they're trying to do that, they literally can't stop. 
And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, that's an addiction. So I think that's a big stereotype is, is the, the, the idea that um, an addict has to be non-functional. Uh, the second one is that um, it is a choice, right? Like we talked about this, you know, it, it it's a mental illness. It's a disease. It's a problem. Um, a lot of times it isn't something you can just choose mm-hmm. away. I'm very lucky because um, I can choose to stop playing video games. I can choose to stop eating sugar. Um, I'm not to the point where it's become, I've become dependent on it. Um, but for a lot of people, that's not true. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it's not true. And so I think that's a big stereotype is that um, it might be a choose. choice the first and the second yeah, and the third have, time, but and then it's, time, not, it's anymore. not anymore. It's yeah. not anymore. Now you are dependent on it. Um, so I think that's a big stereotype. And so a lot of people will just stop. Just stop. And, and I will agree that we are the sum of our choices, um, but a lot of times th- you, that's not the way to recovery. You mm-hmm. can choose to make to start recovery by doing certain things, but you can't just stop. Yeah. Well, and you can, um, and you can desire to stop. That's the other thing too. Oh, yeah. There are some people and, that and are addicted. Yeah. Like that, I would say to some extent can be a choice, um, but not the actual, um, you can choose to desire to not be, not want to be dependent on this thing or not want this thing in your life anymore or its effects. Yeah. Um, and, that and, is, and I would say that is the area where, like that's the area where I would be more comfortable, not completely comfortable, but more comfortable saying like they have a choice here. Um, right. Right. But not, not like they have a choice to actually participate in this thing or not. Um, that's different. They have, a, they have a choice to start on the road mm-hmm. to recovery. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's another stereotype. Um, yeah. there's, there's so many other, do you have any that kind of pop to your head? Well, one of the things, one of the things that I tell my students, um, is, you know, I say, look, if you are struggling with substance abuse, pornography, um, drinking, whatever, if you're struggling with one of those things, come and talk to me. Don't let me catch you. Because if you talk to me, that, show, that tells me you have a desire to stop this and I'm willing to work with you. But if you come to me or not even if you don't come to me and I find out that you're doing something, that's different. I can't do, my hands are tied if I catch you in the act. Um, and it's this secret thing that you don't want to you know, face or whatever. But the other side of this too, is I say like, and don't, don't even give me an excuse of like, I went to a party or I, you got caught at a party and you're really struggling with drinking. Um, because if you go to a party and I'm not saying like a birthday party, I'm talking about one of those parties because Christianity hasn't come up with a better term for partying yet. Um, like you made the intentional decisions. You made a bunch of intentional decisions that led you to the point that you were in a place where you were drinking, right? Like you had to get up, you had to get ready. You had to shower, you had to put on makeup or you had to, you know, whatever, um, you had to put on cologne, you had to put on, you had to choose your clothes. You had to, you had to, you know, get in the car. You had to either go with people or let them pick you up. Like you had to actively put yourself in a place where you would, um, where you would actually participate in that activity. And the, it's the lack of wisdom in those leading up decisions that even if you are struggling with substance abuse or drinking or whatever, the lack of wisdom in those decisions tell me that I can't trust you in a leadership position, right? That's what that means. And so either way, like there, you're, there's where you're boned. But if you tell me like, I want to stop this, I've been trying and I'm afraid and I don't, you know, and I don't know what to do. That's something where now as a pastor, as a, you know, as um, as a leader, as a, you know, as an authority figure, whatever, that's where I have the, 
that's where now I have the ability to get you the help that you need. Um, but it may not look like what you exactly like what you want it to look like. Um, but that's the point is addiction recovery. Like you almost, it's, it's acknowledging that you don't have control. So that is one of the biggest things for me is expressing to someone that you trust and someone with more, I guess, power than you to some extent, um, or someone with some shared power in your life. Maybe that's how I'd rather put it shared authority or shared power, um, that you trust to, to walk with you through it. But, um, I think there's, um, I think with addiction too, even if you can stop yourself from doing it, um, the, I, you know, Tony, what you've shared is boundaries. And I think addiction tears down boundaries. And I think it causes a lot of issues in churches because um, people don't know what boundaries are. And they don't know, um, they don't know how to set them up. They don't know how to create them. And in fact, the way that we talk about church and ministry to people, often we tell people that late, you need to not, have, we basically imply heavily and teach that you shouldn't have any boundaries. Um, and, and if you read the Bible at face value, you may find places that show that you shouldn't have boundaries. Let, you know, if a stranger is within your gates, um, if a foreigner comes within your home, you know, let strangers in and, and welcome them in. And, um, and you've got then, uh, even the story of the good Samaritan, this guy like puts this dude in the midst of his stuff, drops him off at a hotel, pays for his stuff. Like there's a lot of almost if, if that good Samaritan, if the, if the guy who got beat up on the road to, um, I almost said Jamaica on the road to Jericho, um, was actually an addict of, in some way, shape or form. Like then you could potentially be enabling that person, right? Like there's, there's a lot of stories in scripture that would almost seem like you shouldn't have boundaries taken out of context. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but that's not the case at all. There are boundaries. You know, one of the things that Jesus does whenever he heals people, whenever he talks with people is those people may follow him, but he, he tells them go and sin no more. And there is this thing of like, don't, um, it's, it's almost like he puts space between him and them physically and says, go and live your life. Um, and not, you don't need me. Cause obviously we all need Jesus. That's not what I'm saying there, but he's not like, all right, now come and live with me and follow me and do all these things with me in this, you know, in a way that becomes harmful or unhealthy. He's saying, go and live your life and, and, and correct the things you need to correct. Right. So I think one of the issues in the church is we don't have any sort of boundaries and we don't do any sort of teaching of boundaries to people um, so that they can put those things in their own life to protect themselves from being addicts. I think a, a big, a big issue also is um, people don't realize how much like shame is associated with it. Um, and a lot of times that's, that's, and that shame, we've talked about this over and over and over again. That's such a huge issue in the church. Um, but a lot of times that's what keeps people from stepping up. It's this idea that, oh, you know, I'm now a bad person or I'm shamed and, and the amount of, you know, kind of self-hatred um, that, that is present here. And mm. so a lot of times it's not easy for somebody to step up and say, oh, you know, I, I have an addiction or I have an issue. I need to be, you know, help me because of that that stigma that's attached, which is this, you know, it's a shameful, shameful thing, you know, and, and, and I will say this addictions tend to be the more obvious sins. Um, again, it's so hard to nail down pride mm. from an outsider's perspective, right? Like you can kind of see it a little bit like it, it, it does manifest itself, but it's like, 
It's far more subtle in many it's ways. It's far more subtle. It is far more subtle. I was like, if we attack pride the way we attack some of the other sins in our church, like nobody would be allowed to, like. Well, and that's a, the thing. A like sometimes, or, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes the the person struggling with pride happens to also be the only person like fit, so to speak, like you know, logistically speaking or practically speaking, and, for the and, position we keep electing them to. And and we, <laughs> I don't want to say we gradient sins, but. We do have a hierarchy of what is allowed and what isn't. I mean, some some of it's for you know, if someone is is a, a sex offender, you know, you we don't have want a hierarchy of what's allowed for ministry. others. Yeah, but it's like a lot of times we'll allow someone who has a pride issue to be, uh, you know, our oh, elder. Yeah. But that's what I'm because, saying. Well, like, you know, at least he's not a drunk. Yeah, but it's like, dude, the pride is just as big an issue. So I, I would say that that's the stereotype. Is is it's a it's a it's a very obvious public, you can point to it, scarlet letter type of issue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's a, a great deal of shame associated with it. Um, so why why don't we talk about this then more in our church? Do you um, think, I, I think, I think part of it is more of us are dealing with it than we want to admit. And so there's the fear of, there's a fear of me being found out. Um, and that's why I don't want to talk about it, right? Um, there's also this fear of I don't know what to do. There's no clear-cut solution. So I don't know what talking about it's going to help me do. Um, and ultimately, I think there's also a kind of this, this, this little bit of powerlessness um, because, or this feeling of powerlessness because there is no clear-cut solution. I don't know what to do. And so I'm, I don't even want to try. Um, and... I think the other thing is by talking about addiction and talking about real problems that are affecting Christians, it almost seems antithetical to the gospel to, to accept that there's a problem in God's kingdom or God's people, right? It's this God can transform anyone. The gospel is transformative by nature and you're a new creation and a new being in Christ. And you know, the new humanity is here and, and all this in you. Um, and we talk about that transformation, but we, we almost have the expectation that it's instantaneous when in reality, the transformation is over a lifetime. That's what we would call sanctification, I suppose. And, um, but we don't want to admit that these people that claim to follow Jesus, um, also are that messed up. It seems like that hurts our own image, which in my opinion, allowing people who are in a position where they really do need help and shouldn't be in a leadership position for whatever reason, um, to continue leading that seems more dan more harmful to our image as God's kingdom than anything else. Um, and it's not even to continue leading, but to continue leading unchecked. There's leading with accountability and understanding that you, no leader is perfect and no one is perfect. And I'm not saying anyone who has any sort of addiction shouldn't be a leader. Um, but we're seeing very, very clearly in a lot of ways with sexual sins specifically, but even with Mark Driscoll and authority or uh, Perry Noble, uh, mega church pastor in South Carolina, who's now started another church. Um, and I mean, I with alcoholism, argue, how, how, you know, how many, how many televangelists are addicted to money and greed? Yep. Yep. You know, and, and yeah, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's prevalent. Yeah. It's incredibly prevalent. So I think, that's, I think that's part of it. And I think too, no one knows what to say. If I, if I start, you know, if I go into my congregation as a pastor and just say, let's talk about addiction today, let's have some round table discussions. No one's going to really know where to start. And I think part of the problem is that our, 
you know, our pastors are expected to kind of be every man's or every woman, you know, every woman's in that they uh, are supposed to know everything about every topic and lead us into the answers. And in many cases, the pastors don't even know how to start that conversation. And so we talk about uh, Messiah complexes in pastors for addiction. No, but (laughs) I mean, yeah, but I'm not, I'm saying like the expectation on members is that the pastors will know everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, sure. yes, the Messiah complex is a thing yeah. don't, and the savior yeah. complex is a real, but I'm yeah. saying like, yeah, this is no, something. The expectation for sure. Yeah. Like we have to step up because our members are expecting us to, to. And so they I, don't want to talk this. about it. They're like, why should I, why should I say anything? The pastor's going to yeah. be the one to teach me. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I think that's a big issue uh, that we have a lot. I think the other thing is this, I think you hit on it. The idea of sinlessness and perfection being necessary for. Um, salvation leadership or salvation Christianity it's like no man like yes salvation equals you are you are clean when you put on the robe of Christ but it doesn't mean you're a completely different person like like I, I just love that Paul puts this idea it's like the thing that I want to do I don't do and the thing that I do is the thing that I don't want to do Paul's saying that and we mm-hmm. and we tend to brush that off like you'll never hear someone who's a legalist or even someone who who's been influenced by legalism mention that verse. Because yeah, it's very, it, it, well, it 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 takes away immediately what they're talking about because Paul is arguably the greatest Christian that ever lived. You know, he's the reason why we have the church the way that we have it today. And well, I mean Jesus is obviously the best second best, shall we say? Um, but like the reality is like, if he's still struggling with something, then how can you expect perfection from, it is strange. I can't now, this is the first time I've thought about this, but that whole term and phrase victory in Christ and all this, like I cannot, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm thinking about this off the top of my head, but I can't think of a verse where Paul talks about victory in Christ the way that we do. I can't think of a really a place in the new Testament that talks about it that way that talks about it with like Paul Moore says, like I've got this thorn in my side, which granted we could be his vision could be whatever, you know, it's not necessarily addiction, but the idea of I am still battling this thing. Yeah, he's got this thing that is yeah weakness. Yeah. This weakness. And it could be this frustration. And, and so he's and in Romans seven, he expresses this frustration and anger with himself that he still has these desires to do these things uh, that he doesn't want to do. And so you see this kind of repeating theme a lot. And I'm not saying that struggling is now like that, that, you know, just succumbing to sin is now just blanket. Okay. I'm just saying, I don't think that this idea of sinlessness or this idea of I can have it perfect um, is, is the way to go and is the hill to die on here. And, and the, it's, what's interesting is when he, you know, I've, I've seen people point to the, Oh, well let us put aside every, every hindering sin that keeps us from running the race really well. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a continuous action. If you look at the, the Greek word there, it's it's not a, all right, well, let's just drop all our sins right now. It's like, no, it's a continuing, you know, let's put aside as we run the things yeah. that are keeping us from running better. And it's the idea of someone who's training to run a marathon will eventually learn certain techniques and do certain things to help them run better. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's not describing, he's not describing this one singular event. He's describing a mentality and an action of, if I discover something that is holding me back, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, work to put it to the side because I want to run better. I want to learn how to run better. I want to continue to run this race as best I can. Um, 
And I think that helps us a lot when it comes to addiction because it's that idea of this is something that's holding them back. This is not this is not changing their identity as a child of God. This is not changing their identity as a Christian. Um, only you can do that. If you decide, I don't want to give this up. But a lot of times if you can't give it up, um, which again goes back to that stereotype, it's like, no, you need to, you need to understand like this is something, it, it, the thing that's holding them back from giving it up is the very thing that's keeping them from giving it up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they need either outside help. And and I've heard of, you know, miracles where God like, hey, now they're not addicted to alcohol or or cigarettes or whatever. But a lot of times it's not like that. A lot of times he's like, I want you to work through this. I need you to get help and, and to work through community and find accountability. Um, So this is the question that I go to then. All right. So how do you help someone? So. So we're talking about these stereotypes, right? But let's say, okay, now we are not dealing with it. Let's say we as a, as a member are not dealing with addiction and we see a family member, a church member, someone who is struggling with it, and we try to help them. How do you help someone? And, and I guess it's bigger than addiction as well, but how do you help someone who doesn't want your help? Mm, that's, man, that is hard because um, it is, it can be the most painful thing to watch someone participate in completely self-destructive behaviors and in many ways not even in more than self-destructive right it's destructive to relationships and their life in general yeah um affects their they, job they affects their sleep affect, yeah. yeah yeah um so this is how do you help someone who doesn't want your help um there's something that i think all of us can do before we're ever in this position and that's learn how to have confrontational conversations and i don't mean confrontational as in like um, like you're looking to start a fight. I mean, how do you speak clearly and confidently about something that's negative and uncomfortable? And whether it's the way you're feeling or, you know, calling someone out on a destructive behavior, whatever. Um, the, this is, this is interventions. This is, this is, you know, this is a lot of things that, um, in many ways, addicts will, in, will keep justifying their behavior because they don't see that it has clearly impacted the relationships in their lives. And part of the reason that happens is because no one in their life has actually shared that this thing is in the way of something. Um, one, I was talking with a friend the other day um, who has an issue with some people who've been gossiping about him and how like all of his problems stopped when he cut those people out of his life. And um, one of the things I, I, I said to him um, and I, you know, I don't say this at all to call him out or anything like that. I say this just as an example, just, a, just kind of like an objective example. But I said like, those people probably don't even realize that what they've been doing has affected you the way that it has, because maybe they thought that the people they gossiped to were trustworthy. Right. Um, and turns out they weren't and they don't know that. So they're going to continue gossiping to those people. Um, and I'm not saying like the people they gossip to are the problem there, but just like they may not, they may be completely unaware that what they're doing has actually started manifesting itself outside of themselves. And, um, so learning how to have real and straightforward, brutally honest conversations with people in our lives now is incredibly important. Being able to tell your friends, no, I don't want to do this thing or no, I will not do this thing. Um, being able to say, you know, being able to understand when someone's trying to take advantage of you. Um, I had a friend who in high school would be like, Hey man, let's go get some Taco Bell for lunch. We'd go walk to Taco Bell. Um, and then after he ordered or as he was ordering, he would look at me and go, Hey man, uh, I just realized I don't have any money. That happened one time that happened two times. I would pay for him. And then I, then I noticed the pattern 
And I had to be like, no, I don't want to go. I, I just stopped going to Taco Bell. What I should have done was have a conversation with him, but instead I just kept, I just started saying no to going to Taco Bell. I should have had a conversation and basically said like, what's going on? Like, how can we, how can we fix this? And, um, but still the idea of understanding and identifying a pattern and being able to speak up and say, no, this is an issue is incredibly important. And we can't even do that with friends for non-addictive reasons. Um, and I think learning how to do that with those currently we're in relationship with that are good and positive can help us have the tools necessary to tell someone who doesn't want your help, hey, this is a problem. This is unacceptable. This needs to change. Um, and um, I'm happy to help you figure that out and figure out what that looks like if you want to change yourself, um, if you want to change those things in yourself. Um, but ultimately, I will not engage. And this is the other thing is setting boundaries. I will not engage in behavior that will, that will enable you to do this thing that I know is destructive because I love you. Um, it means that I won't just spot you money. It means that, you know, um, I may, if, if you do ask, if you do ask me for money, I may ask to see a receipt and then, uh, and then ask for every penny extra back. And if I don't get it one time, then you're cut off from any sort of, you know, support from me. Um, things like financial support or, or financial help, right? It's things like that. It's, it is identifying the behaviors and the things that are, that they're doing and asking you to do um, that then you can cut back on that. You can stop. You can put boundaries up and say, I will not enable destructive behavior. And they may think that you're, you know, being a jerk, whatever the, 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 the second thing you need to do is you need to know that you are doing this the right way, which is you do need to educate yourself. You need to understand um, those behaviors as best as you can. If someone's addicted to porn, you need to be Googling, how do I help someone who's addicted to porn? How do I help a friend who's addicted to porn? Um, give them the phone numbers of counselors and let them know, this is the biggest thing I learned in youth ministry within a week of starting youth ministry was um, most of the time I couldn't stop a kid from doing something that they knew was bad and I could tell them was bad. Um, so one of the things I started to tell them was like, look, don't do this thing. This thing is bad. It will harm you. It will cause you pain. And it will hurt people around you. But if you do, just know you can come back here and we can figure out, like, this is a safe place for you to talk. Um, they would inevitably, every time that I told someone, don't do this, they would do it anyway. And then they wouldn't come and talk to me. But when I started to say the second thing is they would do it. And then they would come back to me and say, you were right. I'm sorry. I, you know, how do we move forward from this? It's not enabling bad behavior. It's letting them know that you love them beyond their behavior. And, um, I think understanding that with the, with the addition of boundaries in place, there are consequences for actions, right? Understanding that with accountability is incredibly important. It's not just a blanket permission to go do the thing and then always come talk to you and make themselves feel better, but it is, you know, come and talk to me. Yeah. You, you're giving me permission to have tough conversations with you and to hold you yes. up and, and to hold your feet to the fire. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it is a matter of, it, it is a waiting game. It means that you're setting up those boundaries and you may have to shut the door with a boundary and you may not even be able to talk to that person. And it may be years before they reach out to you again and say, hey, I need help. That's what you're waiting for. You're waiting for the I need help conversation. And when that comes, then you need to be ready. Yeah. Like you need to be ready to drop whatever you're dropping to help them. When an addict says, I need help, like that's the moment, that's the breakthrough moment people are waiting for. And I know that that can happen several times through an addiction recovery. Um, but like that's the moment if you, if, if someone says, I need help and you go, 
and you just, you know, delay in your response to that text or you don't answer that phone call or whatever, like that's the moment um, where you, you start to fail. So understanding how do you help someone who doesn't want your help? You need to be patient as well. And obviously pray for them. If you're a Christian, if you are someone of faith, um, pray for them every day, pray for them um, and pray for yourself, pray for the other people in their lives. Um, Pray that they would be surrounded with influences and influencers that will help them see the errors in their ways. So those are some of the practical things that I would, um, that I would suggest, Tony, I don't know if you have anything that you want to add there. We're definitely going over today, by the way, in time, just so everyone like, knows I, I we're like, going um, over. No, we're doing this. No, we're going, I, we're going through this. So. We're going through this. You sit down and you buckle in. Unless you have to go, Tony, if you have to go, we, no. we can. Okay. I'm not doing anything because I don't have the energy to do anything. So we're fine. I'm, I have no response for that. So, um, how do you? Yeah, how so, do you help someone who doesn't want your help? So, <laughs> so um, I mean, I you kind of hit it all, and you kind of think kind of went into the next section we're going to talk about, um, which is okay. So, what can we do? Obviously, you know, you talked about being ready for the conversation, stuff like that. All right, so what can we do as non-experts? Um, and I think that, um, so Healthline, I, I went online, I, I found uh, some really good places that I think um, had some really good stuff uh, to help with addiction. And thankfully, there are a lot of resources out there, unfortunately not Christian, but a lot of resources to help with addiction. Um, and and this is not to knock the Adventist Church. Like I, we, the Adventist Church has, um, I, I want to say like two or three specifically uh um, addiction recovery uh, groups and systems. Uh, I know Celebrate Recoveries is one that I know off the top of my head, but I know that there's Celebrate Recovery sort of, Adventist. I believe it's Adventist. Uh, it might I, not I be. I feel like it's but I know not. It's at least Christian. I've seen it in Adventist churches. Yes, um, 100%. And so, but if nothing else, it's like, I, I know that we have resources that are out there, but I just don't see it talked about a lot, you know, in normal churches. And if you're in in a church, you know, you know, talk to us. If your church does talk about it, that's awesome. Let us know. I haven't seen a lot of it. Um, so Healthline. Uh, Saddleback sorry, try, Church from Rick Warren. Health. Okay, so, so that's, that's. So it is. Yeah, Saddleback Church started Celebrate Recovery okay. under Rick yeah. Warren. Cool. Um, but I know that's a good system. I, again, I know that we have a few other things that, that work well. Um, so tryhealth.com. Um, Daily Health Wire. It, it, it had seven tips for helping someone with addictions, um, and these were really good. These were again non-expert things. Um, so the first one was educate yourself, right? And like we said, educate yourself. It's important. The more you know about it, the more you're able to help. Um, it's just a reality. Uh, the second one was get support. Uh, find a support system. Uh, create a support system for yourself and for the person who is uh, an addict. And I think that's huge. I think that as a church, you you would think the support is there a lot of times, but it's not intentional. Mm. And so I think that's a big thing there is is get intentional support. Find a, a specific, you know, create a group, um, talk to some leaders um, or just young adults or whatever. Like get people together who are going to be able to educate themselves and talk about this and support. Um, get counseling. This was a big one because obviously you think oh we'll get counseling for the the addict but it's like no get counseling for yourself because uh helping helping people out can be very draining and so they said you're going to need it just as much as the person Mm -hmm. you're trying to help 
uh, seek specialty help. This is more for finances. Um, there are government assistance programs. Um, there are Christian uh, resources out there. Basically, like, get as much specialty resources as possible. Um, because, again, this is it's a it's a battle. It's not a I'm sorry. It's, it's a war. It's not a battle. It's not like a one time thing. It's not like you're just going to show up and be like, boom, recovery. There you go. You mm. oftentimes this is a, this is for the long haul. Um, don't enable, which we talked about this, um, you know, enabling essentially is just doing anything that's going to, um, continue the addiction process. So that could be, um, money that could be allowing them to keep doing this. It could be not holding them accountable, whatever it is that's allowing them to continue the addiction process. Um, have realistic expectations is another huge one. Um, I, I, not every person you try to help is going to recover and not every recovery is going to be permanent. And so mm-hmm. you have to have those expectations. Yeah. Um, understanding and researching was, relapsing yeah. is huge. Understanding the idea of relapsing that, is incredibly that was, important. Yeah. That was another stereotype I wanted to talk about the idea that, um, you know, once you're cured, it's, it's forever. It's like, no, 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 it, it, it can, you can relapse. There are big issues. Um, I, I just think of, you know, in baseball, uh, Josh, um, Oh, brain. I just had him in my head. Anyway, he's a former <clears throat> baseball player. He used to play for uh, the Rangers and the Reds, and he was a, a horrible addict, and he fell back in, and it ruined his career. It was very unfortunate. Um, Josh Hamilton? Josh Hamilton, thank you. Take care of yourself is, a, is another big one. It kind of goes along that line of, like, just make sure that you're in a good place as well because it can be very draining. Um, mm-hmm. And so for a church, that was more for an individual, but also as a church, it's like... As a church, you need to be in a healthy place if you're going to try to help someone who's addicted. Like, yeah. you need to make sure that your church is a non-toxic environment, um, that that it has a support system, that it's running, you know, where where people are, are going to be healed and not hurt more. Yeah. Um, Do you, like, this is, this is a big thing for me, an issue in the church-wise. Um, I would guarantee you, I, I don't even have a problem saying guarantee. I'm happy to speak in that language. At least 90% of churches... Um, do not have a clear path for someone who's dealing with a problem to actually come forward and ask for help, whether anonymously or not. There's this implication that they should just go talk to the pastor, but there is no set path to success to actually share, I need help. Yeah, Um, there's no box, there's no... Yeah, yeah there's, they don't there's have a nothing. counselor on file. Yeah, But we have a million resources if you want to know more about Daniel and Revelation. Um, like... We specialize in all the things that seem to not have any practical impact in someone's life um, unless they like own that thing is everything and let it, you know, if, if whatever becomes super important to you, you know, if, if Daniel Revelation becomes super important to you, it can lead to some better decisions in your life for sure. But um, we don't actually prove the church does not have a lot. Understanding what the king in the north yeah. is is not going to help you get over correct nicotine. Like yes. it's just not. Um, um, and so, I would, so, well, some of ahead. the things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the, uh, well, I'm going on the next section. So you go oh, ahead. Oh, no. Yeah. This is one, one thing. And I'm going to link uh, TED Talk in the 
in the show notes. There's yeah. a TED Talk by Johan uh, Hari, I think is his oh, name. I was about to talk about that, so yeah. Um, oh, okay, perfect. He talks about um, everything you think you know about addiction is wrong, and, right. and his entire... He talks yeah. about some experiments done with, I think, uh, rats or mice. Um, I can't remember what the animal was. I think it's rats. I think it's rats. Um, he, but he... It was this idea of if uh, of how do people handle addiction in, in lonely versus, you know, isolated versus in a community. And he talked about how a lot of the mice or rats or whatever um, basically were able to kick whatever they were addicted to when they had a community around them. They were no longer dependent on that thing. And, he, and this, is, this is a key truth of addiction. It's usually masking some significant portion of loneliness or isolation. And the problem with addiction is while it's masking it, it's also increasing it because you're, you're alienating yourself from people. And so one of the biggest cures and, and, and not cures, one of the biggest methods of recovery for addiction is community. And I'm going to give a big shout out to Salvation Army on this because when I was pastoring and listen, I have talked a lot about my church district. I've talked about them being small town. I've talked about antiquated racial terms being used in conversation. But if there's one thing that my churches knew how to do, um, it was, it was love and accept someone who was struggling. And uh, I watched, you know, when it was one of our own. Um, I never, I, it, and I only say that because I never really saw it happen. It just never popped up outside of that. Um, I walked into church one day. No, I didn't actually. This happened when I was at the other church. But one of my churches um, called me after called me after I was done preaching at the other church. And they told me that um, a guy had come in. Turns out he had been a, an attending member, married with kids for years. He had come in that day um, completely high and drunk. I mean, he, was, he had shot up and was, and was drunk. And he had stumbled into church that Saturday morning. And he literally spent the entire morning shaking, um, crying, and just sitting in one of my older church members' arms the entire day or the entire morning, just quietly there. And the older member, big, tough guy, military vet, um, just sitting there hugging the dude all morning long. This dude had been a member of the church for years, had, dis- had gone away for a while because he'd fallen into addiction and lost his marriage, separated from his wife. His wife had the kids. Um, and he walked in that morning and he had shared it was because um, he had shared it was, he was like, I was driving and I don't know what it was, but something, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what. He's like, I, something told me you need to stop at church today as he was driving by. So he pulled in and walked in, had no idea what would happen. And uh, we, we got him, uh, we ended up, uh, he ended up moving in with a church member in their spare room who basically adopted him as her son. And um, we, she, she reached out, found that the Salvation Army in many major cities, if you think, like, I hope this encourages someone to drop a dollar in that Salvation Army bucket outside of Walmart, because what they do is incredible. Um, they have basically rehab, rehabilitation centers in major metro areas where if, um, and so there was, you know, one in Charlotte where we were in York, South Carolina, um, 45 minutes away an hour away or so, we, um, we found out that you do need to be clean for two weeks. You do have to have a drug test. Um, he took a drug test and we, you know, we got him into a clinic because we had one of our church members that worked at a clinic through billing or insurance or something. She was able to get him in and basically get it covered. Um, got drug tested. Um, turns out within 72 hours, he was actually clear of 
stuff that you, that takes longer than that, or it was within 24 hours, he was clear of stuff that takes 72 hours. Like something happened, and his his like him being clean was expedited, basically, or deemed clean for this program. And the Salvation Army has a six month long program. It's in it's inpatient. So you you go and live in the Salvation Army for six months. They give you a job. You go into group counseling and you do individual counseling. And you go into church every Sunday morning. It's all men. I think it's all men. I think they have ones for women too, but I don't I don't remember looking into this that much because we were just dealing with a man. Um and uh you have to they have to have they give you a list of everything. It's like kind of packing for summer camp. They have to have a suit. They have to have certain clothes. So we literally, with church money, we took this dude shopping. We didn't buy him Walmart clothes. We bought him, we went to Kohl's. We went to a few different stores and got him the clothes he needed. We spent $600 on clothes for him to get everything he needed and to have options. We take him to the Salvation Army Center. And not only that, we also tell the dude like, hey, you cannot come back to this city. Like we love you and we want you obviously as a member of our church, but you can't come back to York because this is where your problems are. This is where all your connections are. Um, during those six months, we left his car at a church member's house. We cleaned it out of all of the crap and junk. Then we, um, we helped him find some work about 45 minutes away from York, 30 minutes away from York, um, got him his car back. And um, he did end up struggling a bit. Um, he relapsed a couple times after. Um, and but what the Salvation Army does is basically they give you new function. They help you find a job. They help you find everything you need to do in those six months that you're with them. Um, and you can have in-house visitors. Um, you can't have a cell phone, but you can call the Salvation Army and talk to whoever you want to talk to, right? Um, after a certain amount of time, they're allowed to, you know, check out like a dorm um, if certain nights of the week. But it is an incredible, incredible program that we, that we were able to get this guy into. And I wish that Adventism had anything even remotely like that. It was, it is one of the most incredible programs I have ever seen. And it was free. That was the other side of it. It was totally free. Um, like I just, I, I, I'm just shocked at it. It's just, yeah. Um, and, and so I want to give a shout out to them, but a shout out to my church too, because they took this guy in, he granted he was known. They took this guy in, someone opened up their home name because he didn't have a place to stay he ended up being able to be reunited with his kids and spend time with them for the first time in years. Um, he was, you know, we took pictures with the guy like now I don't know where he is now. I do know that the last time we had talked, he had, um, he had relapsed a little bit. Um, but none of his relapses completely destroyed his life again. That to my knowledge. Now, I, like I said, I don't know where he is now, but watching the church step up and do that was incredible. And they owned it. Like I didn't, I didn't know the guy that well and there wasn't a lot I could do. They put but they him in a really, place to succeed. Yep. They really owned they really owned it and put him in a place to succeed and, and and supported him. One of my church members would go every Sunday to the church member that like adopted him would go every Sunday to have church with him. Some of our church members would go as well. And um it was amazing to watch. And I was named as his pastor and someone who talked to the Salvation Army on a regular basis supporting him. Um it was it was just amazing. And I, I want to give a shout out both to that church, the York Church, and I want to give a shout out to um, the Salvation Army for that program because it, bar none, it's probably the best program I have seen. It is faith-based. So for those who are non-believers, you know, um, understand that that is one of the things that is faith-based. A lot of addiction recovery is, Celebrate Recovery is, even AA is. They talk about a higher power. To a degree, um, yeah. Yeah, to a degree. Um, so, you know, sorry about that reality for those who don't share that faith. Um, well, I, I think it, a lot of the times it's not directly like... 
it's not proselytizing. They're just saying like you, you know, this is the this is the motivation behind it. And they're like, adding structure yeah. for Salvation Army. It's yeah. you're going to church, you have these meetings, you have these appointments, you have ritual. to keep. Oh yeah, ritual. Yeah. They say that's a huge for recovery. Ritual is a huge. Again, I'm not an expert, but ritual is a huge, huge mm-hmm. thing because you need to. A lot of times, uh, with with addiction, it's because you get into these habits. And you'll just, you get into bad ritual. So you need to replace that ritual with something mm-hmm. else. You can't just leave a vacuum. Nature abhors yeah. a vacuum and, and it'll, you'll just, so you have to replace it. Yeah. And, and honestly, that sense of community was huge. Like you're putting them in a, basically a big dorm with other people and people who are in similar places, but with professionals who can help and support them. So yeah, those are, those are um, so if you're in a church, look for Salvation Army and look for the start creating partnerships and talking with organizations that work with addiction recovery. Even if you're just a lay member, you can do that, by the way. You can just call these places, build a relationship on behalf of your church, and then tell your pastor or ministry leaders or whatever and say like, hey, I've been talking with this organization. They really want to partner with us and whatever. Or, you know, if we, you know, you can be the, you can be the advocate for this in your church. You do not have to wait for the board to approve it because it is just a it's not a finance thing. You're not bringing anyone onto the property. You're not doing anything that would require board approval. You're just calling people and finding out like, what are the places that we can go to if this is a ministry that we decide to start? And at that point, once you've done the research, then you show up to your church board and say, this is what I want to do. These are the ways that I can do it. These are the people that we can help, whatever, right? Um, But you can be the advocate for that in your own church and it doesn't cost a dime. It does not cost a dime. And it doesn't require a lot of... um, specialized education either so yeah yeah um so let's talk about one last thing as far as protecting yourself if you want go ahead yeah yeah yeah. um and that is um i think one of the hardest things here is the fact that addicts are usually people that we love and care about and it is incredibly painful to watch them go through something like this um And this is especially true if it's a significant other, Um, if it's a spouse, whatever. Um, If it's someone that you you have tied any part of your identity to, it can be incredibly painful. And so I want to speak to that reality. This is why I think it's worth going over because this this last point I think is incredibly important. And I don't want to miss out and wait until part two on this. Um, So when it comes to dealing with someone that you love and care about, um, one of the hardest things is first being able to separate yourself Um, kind of emotionally from need or at least accepting that that tough love is what's now going to be needed and um, being and understanding that the person is going to be angry at you and harm and um, and will potentially lash out and try to sabotage parts of your life um, because you are trying to get them help um, that is you know they'll resist it and it's really hard because the way that we talk about love and and kind of I guess, romanticized love is we think it's always going to be this wonderful, great thing. But love involves conflict. Love involves hard conversations. Love involves crying and anger and tears many times. Um, it is it is real. Um, I've stood in a doorway, not really a doorway, but a doorway-sized you know entry. It was the, the entrance to our hallway with my arms and legs against the door as someone who, uh, as someone kicked and screamed and punched at me, trying to get through in order to get a, to get a sharp object to harm themselves and to harm me with, um, never laid a hand on them. And, and they punched and kicked everywhere. 
um, as I tried to, and as, as I physically stood in the way of them being able to do something that would harm me and harm themselves. Um, saying no to someone can be one of the hardest things that you do. And I was, I think I was 21 at the 20, I think I was 20 or 19 at the time that I did that. I think it was barely in college when that happened, maybe even before then. Um, if I was home, it was, yeah, no, it was about that time. And like, that's hard. That's incredibly hard. It could have been when I was 17 too, but I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how old I was, but it was somewhere late teens for sure. Um, I wasn't that old and dealing with that. Um, so Tony, I guess, um, I've talked for a while, but what are some (laughs) things that you, um, what are some things that you would advise for someone who is dealing with, with this scenario where they're trying to help someone that they really care about and love, but yeah, seems impossible. I mean, I, I, you know, the biggest thing is just educate yourself, you know, um, we're going to put some links up, um, to, to kind of help, um, at least start that journey. Um, Healthline, I know has a really great, great way, um, uh, an article, uh, talking about how to talk to an addict, um, and how to, uh, you know, start that conversation. Um, American Addiction Centers has a really good one. Um, but I, you know, I mean, we, I, I don't want to take too much time. Yeah. Talk about that, but you know, they, they, they talk about, um, you know, control versus influence. You're not trying to mm-hmm. control the other person and, and the harder you try to control them, you know, um, the more they're going to push back. Um, and so you, you have to, and kind of that idea that you were talking about, you know, how do you help someone who doesn't want your help? Yeah. Um, you have to just try to influence them and be ready for that. Um, you know, I think the other thing you need to realize is, is stop taking responsibility for them. It's not your, they, they, you, you have to strike a balance between wanting to help them and taking responsibility for their actions. They are the master of their choices. Ultimately, you know, we can, we can talk about all the different things that influenced us and we can point to various, you know, psychoanalysts to say, oh, well, you know, it's because of this, this and that. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, you, we are the sum of our choices. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, that, that person has to want to get better and they're going to continue yeah. to do things that are either going to help them or hurt them. Um, you know, you're talking about this guy in York. I mean, it's amazing that, he wanted that recovery, but ultimately if, if, you know, you go back and you find out that he, he ended up back on the streets, well, that's his, that was his choice because he was mm-hmm. put in an area to succeed. Um, and, and you feel bad and you, and you want to help as much as you can, but ultimately they have to make that decision and it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, there's a, there's a principle in Judaism that I actually want to explore more on another episode um, about the fact, basically talking about the fact that you cannot forgive someone for something they didn't do to you. So um, yeah. I learned this in a talk where, and I'm going to connect this in a second, but I learned this in, in a talk, um, an amazing talk where this girl whose mom and I think brother were killed by, um, by someone who lived on their street or someone that, yeah, someone they vaguely were connected to. And um, she said, I, you know, I can't forgive him for killing my mom and, and my brother, I can only, um, only they can forgive him and they're dead. But they, 
you can only forgive someone for what they've done to you. So I had to learn that I could forgive him for the pain that he's caused me, but I can't for literally, I cannot forgive him for something that he did not do to me. The same way I would say is you cannot call yourself responsible for decisions that other people made um, that had nothing to do with you. Even if you, you know, if, if, if someone decided to take advantage of you, you cannot blame yourself for that. I think that's, we've talked about that a little bit in modesty culture where a lot of there, there's women who, um, or, or there's a lot of people who after something traumatic happens, they'll try and identify the ways that they could have prevented it. And like, this has to be my fault somewhere because it's this element of control. Um, in addiction, no one has control other than the addiction. Um, and you don't have control over the other person's decisions. And so you have to be able to separate what you're responsible for versus what they are responsible for. Now, if you gave them money and didn't ask, you know, what it's for and ask for accountability there, you can blame yourself for giving them, for giving them money in an, in a, with a lack of accountability. You can blame yourself there, but you, you, it is not your fault. They took that money and did something else with it. Does that make sense? So, um, did something unintended with it. That's on them. Um, your responsibility is what is how you give and, um, and how you support them. And there is a clear line. That's not even a fine line. There is a clear yeah, line between your actions yeah. and their actions. You cannot be responsible for their actions unless you involve yourself in their actions. Um, yeah. that, that's the only, like, that's, that's my thing. Um, too. If, if, if there's an alcoholic and I'm inviting, and I have alcohol in my house, I'm not inviting that alcoholic over to my house. I'm not putting them in a position or a place where they could be, um, where, where they are now vulnerable to this issue. I'm not putting them in a place if, unless that alcohol is like super, super, super locked up. Um, and like, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And I think that's really important for us to um, to say there is a clear line and you need to be responsible for what you're responsible for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any final I mean, thoughts, I, Tony? I just, you know, again, a lot of times we want to talk, um, about the big stuff, but remember that just because someone's not an alcoholic or, you know, uh, addicted opioids, it doesn't mean that they don't have addictions. Um, that they're not struggling with something and those addictions can be just as harmful. And so don't be afraid to, you know, you you were talking about, you know, don't invite someone in your house. If you have, you know, alcohol, well, I, you know, don't start up video games in front of someone, you know, has no control over it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, if someone's a shopaholic, you know, don't ask them to buy you a gift, you know, there, there are a lot of things that you need to be aware of and recognizing that, you know, educate yourself so you can recognize the symptoms, mm -hmm. so you can recognize, you know, those types of things, so you mm -hmm. can get rid of the stereotypes. Um, like I said, we're going to put up some links to try to help you with that. But but yeah. um, start talking about it in your local church. Take agency in it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, just be aware that... If, if you are dealing with someone, you know, in, in your personal life that is an addict, um, you know, for believers pray, you know, um, it, it's, it's a non-active, active step. Um, prayer, just prayer isn't enough, but prayer plus anything is much better. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I, I think that that's always something, yeah. you know, my thoughts and prayers. Well, that's not, you know, thoughts and prayers plus action. Um, yeah. but, but definitely, you know, it doesn't mean kick out the thoughts and prayers. So, so if you're a believer, have those, add those to it. That's something you can do in any situation, by the way, when someone who doesn't want your help, you can pray for them. Intercessory yep. prayers right there, you know, and they can't stop you outside <laughs> yep. of literally, you know, holding your mouth like, <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that, that's something you can do, but, yeah. but just know, you know, you're in for the long haul, educate yourself, try to, try to do something and, and, and talk about it. Yeah. I, I always say so much addiction and so many, so many sins are allowed to thrive because we simply don't turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. We were just simply be open and honest about a lot of these things. We would not only realize that they're a lot more common and not as big an issue in the sense of they're not this giant, shameful, horrible thing. Like everyone's dealing with, you know, I thought I was the only mm. one who dealt with a pain in their left yeah. knee. No, we're all dealing with it. Oh, so like it, 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 so many problems um, can be, can be yeah. helped, maybe not solved, but at least you know, put yeah. along that journey if you, if you talk about it and, and educate yourself, you know, because really outside of having expert help, those are the two main things that you can, you can do yeah. along with a lot of these other steps. Um, great thoughts, Tony. Um, cosign hundred percent. The two things I would end on are number one, um, two weeks ago, I want to make this quick clarification. Two weeks ago, we, uh, were talking about modesty culture and, um, we brought up an example of someone who had shared that they have to, they and their family, you know, they have to flee any at the first sign of arousal. And we talked about that being kind of a, um, uh, we talked about that being an unpleasant way to live, basically. And um, the way, the context we talked about that was within the realm of like, it's not the woman's fault that you have to flee because of arousal for you. Um, but we didn't explicitly say something that I want to explicitly say now since we're talking about addiction. If you or the person you know is in a position where they need to flee at the site of whatever they're addicted to, please don't make them white knuckle it and please don't white knuckle it. Um, if, if your addiction is bad enough for me with pornography at one point, uh, there was a time where I couldn't walk by a Victoria's secret without closing my eyes or intentionally looking away. Like I had to, I had to physically put a, put some sort of something between me and right. You know, yeah. scantily clad yeah. women basically. Um, and this was, this was a difficulty for me. It was never the woman's fault. It was just my issue. Um, so if you were in a position where you need to flee, uh, please flee. Um, you know, and if, if you are a friend and your friend tells you, Hey, we're in a place I'm not okay right now. Can we leave? You leave. I don't care if you already spent money at the bowling alley. I don't care if you already spent money doing the thing that you're doing. Leave. Don't make them white knuckle the movie that had something really inappropriate. Like if, if your friend's addiction or your addiction, um, is, is, you know, not more important to you than the $10 you cost to, you, you know, that, that, that movie cost you to watch or rent or the dollar it cost you at Redbox to watch. Like there, that says something about your priorities for your own friendship. Um, and I would invite you to look into yourself for that, but please don't invite someone to white knuckle something that they know it is okay to run and resist and flee when you need to. Um, there's, it's biblical too. flee from the devil. Uh, you know, and this is a, you know, that's a real thing. So I do want to clarify that. And, and we'll talk about that in depth on a future episode too. We have a, uh, 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 clinical, a mental health, uh, clinical, clinical mental health nurse practitioner who's going to come on and talk a bit with us at some point. 
Um, but the so that's number one, and I want to provide clarification within the context of addiction. Um, the second thing I would say is um, definitely start educating yourself. YouTube, um, Google, uh, the websites that we link. Uh, try to find as verified sources as you possibly can versus people like us just talking about it. Um, the further more you go into research, the further away you should be from just random people talking about it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. This is a yeah. good introduction. But at some point, Learn you need to be looking experts. for the experts. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We um, are not this is a good dip your toes from in. those who can. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, and that's the last thing I want to end on is that disclaimer again. We're not the experts. There's a lot we're still learning and there's a lot to still talk about. Um, so thank you for journeying with us. And if you are going through an addiction, um, I would invite you to Google Celebrate Recovery and, and, and find out, for, call your church, find out if there's, um, ask for a friend or for a family member um, and ask if what they do for addiction. Find out from the bigger churches in your area um, and see if there's any, see what exists in your immediate vicinity that you can go to that, that can help you. Um, find counseling, find whatever that you can um, to... Um, to get the help that you need. And um, hey, we just want to, we want you to know we're praying for you. Um, and we want to thank you for listening to us. We apologize if there's anything that we've said here that was harmful to anyone in a way that isn't like, you know, a necessary pain or tough love sort of way. Um, and please reach out to us, hit us up in our contact info uh, in the show notes. Um, I've been getting more and more submissions via email um, from the contact us page on Absurdity's website. So please keep doing that. Yes, yes, please please. keep doing that. It's amazing. And it's been the most helpful thing in the world over the last couple months. So please keep doing that. But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.